the truth is we decided to look to integration and it was on a sunny italian afternoon uh, having a coffee with you christina that pun intended that the you know the light went on the light bulb went on and we said wow we really cannot not only don't don't want to avoid integration but we have to seek it with the national utility and that was ricardo rodolfi the founder and ceo of equatorial power and this is the power for all podcast the podcast is a forum for leaders working to end energy poverty and a great opportunity to get to know some of the important players in the decentralized renewable energy sector. Today, I'm your host, founder and CEO of Power for All, Christina Skirka. So a little bit of background on Ricardo. He's spent seven years working in the energy sector, as well as in banking and finance. Uh, Ricardo, fun fact, is also a lawyer qualified to practice in three countries. So let's just get into it. Uh, welcome, Ricardo. Thank you, Christina. It's a real pleasure to be hosted by you, as always, and I'm looking forward to uh, a great discussion. That's perfect. Uh, well, so thank you so much. We're meeting today uh, for all of our listeners with Ricardo Rodolfi uh, to dig a bit deeper into the recently commissioned Utilities 2.0 pilot project in Uganda called Twake, which means light in Ugandan, and talk a little bit about what partnership is like working with the likes of East Africa Power, Intergrow, Power for All, the Rockefeller Foundation, and UMMA. There's lots of partners involved in this project, lots of great little interesting pieces to discover about the process of developing an integrated energy pilot, and just also hearing from one of the key players in the mini-grid space about what is the future of energy from a mini-grid perspective. So with that, let's talk a little bit first about your interesting background. I find it absolutely fascinating that you are licensed to practice law in three countries and curious how that led you to a career in energy. So maybe just walk our listeners through that for a few minutes. With pleasure, Christine. I mean, I think uh, to, to give it justice, we have to rewind even further. And I mean, I've had the good fortune uh, to follow my family around growing up and we lived in about 12 different countries and I've been in and out of Africa since 1994. And so I've really, in, it, in Italian, there's a phrase called mal d'Africa, which goes to hint to the fact that when you visit Africa in a certain way, you always miss it for the rest of your life. And that truly characterizes uh, you know, my growing up. And we've had the fortune to live in Malawi, in, in uh, Namibia, in Uganda about 10 years ago. And when I started to practice law, mainly, as you said, banking and finance, capital markets, you know, it was great. I learned a lot. I really learned a lot in terms of structuring uh, how capital markets work, uh, infrastructure deals. But the truth is, I felt very, very far from any impact. And so, I, again, I, I was lucky, and I was lucky to have a base in Uganda and, and a network in Uganda from which I could learn. And with, with a client of mine, we, we looked at uh, partnering, and we launched a, a mini-grid platform about seven years ago, which fortunately or unfortunately was riddled with lessons. So a lot of uh, failures, some success, but a lot of lessons. And, and that's really what, when the decision came, hey, do we, do we keep going at it? This isn't really working. How do we do this? You know, they decided to focus on Europe. And, and uh, myself with uh, my co-founders, we, we, we launched Equatorial Power with uh, Dario Abishek. And, and it's been almost four years and, and very, very challenging, but truly, truly rewarding. Yeah, that's really interesting. And this idea of lessons, I want to come back to that further on in the podcast, because I think a, a question for everyone is, when do you call it quits? How do you know when it's time? But but let's first talk a little bit more about equatorial power. And I'd like to hear from you, what is distinctive about EP's approach to development and operations from maybe other mini grid companies? It really sort of bring our listeners along to what it's like to run one of these entities, which is starting to get more and more attention in the global space, but 
but maybe we know less and less about what it's actually like to be behind the wheel of a mini grid company. So please, over to you. Thank you, Christine. I mean, you know, we all we all think we're special. At least we ought to. I believe that. And so it's <laughs> difficult because my peers are fantastic. You know, some have been in the space for a very long time. Some are new. There's a lot of ideas. And I think that the the single most important characteristic of many good companies today is their dynamism, which means maybe a comparison today does no longer applies tomorrow. What I can say is when we launched Equatorial Power, we we decided to base it on on two tenets, on two pillars. The first is built around the word integration. And what I mean by that is, is there's two levels. The first is at the mini grid site. We realized that, that you know, maybe because none of us came from an energy background that we, we could care less about electricity, to be honest with you. We, what we care about is rendering the delivery of services to rural areas bankable through infrastructure. Energy is a great place to start. And so we said, okay, well, what else can we do? And we looked way beyond electrons. And now, as you know, um, Equatorial Power's model is built around an integrated system where we have, obviously, energy access as well as water purification, agro-processing services, electric mobility. And that integrated system is truly representative of and distinctive, I would say, of Equatorial Power's DNA. It also applies on another layer because we, and, and we'll get back to this, but to me, Energy access is but one piece of the energy ecosystem puzzle. Without a sustainable and healthy energy ecosystem, we will never achieve universal access. And that that's a lot of what I learned with my other experience on the board of Umeme. But the truth is, we decided to look to integration. And it was on a sunny Italian afternoon, uh, having a coffee with you, Christina, that pun intended that the, you know, the light went on, the light bulb went on. And we said, wow, we really cannot not only don't don't want to avoid integration, but we have to seek it with the national utility. And so integration is truly the first pillar, both in terms of the services offering on the off-grid sites, as well as the intention to uh, relate to the national energy system. That's the first real distinctive feature of equatorial power. And the second, simply put, is partnership. We all, bigger or smaller egos, want to play a part and accelerating access. What we decided from the start of Equatorial Power is to say, we realize that we need the right partnerships, the right strategic investors, the right strategic co-developers to really make an impact. We're not in this to electrify 10 villages. We want to go for 100,000 villages. And so the only way to do that is with the right partners. And today, yeah, we can speak a little bit more about that, but you know, we're very proud to call NG uh, our partners. We're very proud to call Umeme our partners, as well as the Shell Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation, and, and many others. So truly, to summarize, an integrated model that goes far beyond electricity, and secondly, leveraging the right type of partnerships to accelerate the goal. I would say these two best summarize, uh, and of course, my team is absolutely amazing. That always helps is to have great people to work with. And uh, what countries are you operating in as Equatorial? We started in Uganda, Rwanda, and Eastern DRC. We're currently trying to expand our outlook in the DRC, which is a challenging scenario. As you know, it's a challenging geography, but with huge, huge potential. We're also looking at Kenya with uh, new regulations being published that make our business uh, quite interesting. And we're looking at a few other countries, including Malawi, Mozambique. The nature of this business is that you cannot just sit down and, and hope for the right regulation to, to hit you on the head in the country you're in. You have to constantly analyze yeah, the different regulatory structure, the subsidy structure, the government policy outlook. 
And so we are, again, in three countries, and the objective is to be in five over the next 12 to 18 months. Got it. Okay. No, it's really useful to have that perspective. So really part of the original ethos of Power for All was getting the sector to work together to help create the environment it needed to succeed. People 10 years ago didn't really have an understanding of what the potential for rooftop solar or mini grids back then was. And and now today, finally, that a point of view is changing. And, you know, it's a, a great point to emphasize that market signals from countries who want the private sector to work with them in including how policy is set up is just crucial. But, you know, just to go back to your country of origin on the mini grid side, Uganda, you know, I think you're probably one of the only people I know that both sits on the board of a utility and operates a mini grid company. How exactly do those two roles work together? That's a a good question. I mean, initially, it almost seemed like a big conflict. But very soon it was apparent that uh, the DNA of the two entities, I'm positive, so I'd like to say is naturally complementary. The truth is, like it or not, it's a must. I mean, whether you're, you're a mini grid developer or a utility, if you learn how to cooperate, everybody wins quicker. Again, privileged by a, a lot of learnings being on the board. I was the youngest on that board, I think, by a good 20 years, which meant I now have to really earn my bread and then read everything, read it twice. Uh, luckily, Umeme has amazing governance, great management. And so I was, uh, you know, I was shepherded into uh, the role very quickly. I also uh, get to sit on the strategic review committee, which is kind of where all the action happens at board level, where we get to, as you may know, the Umeme concession was was a great success in Africa, and it's running to an end in the next uh, four and a half years. So we're currently under pressure pressure to uh, make new proposals because, as I said, the energy sector is dynamic. I mean, we go over the last hundred years and certain countries went at different speeds, right? Energy started as a public good, went on to become a regulated asset-based investment, which I think best characterizes what Umema's concession is, but has increasingly, has moved to and is increasingly moving to a consumer-facing business. And that's where we have the privilege in the Strategic Review Committee to really make uh, wild and wonderful proposals on how to how to change the DNA so that government can do its part, can meet its policy objectives, uh, while electrifying, bringing access to the remainder of the country, in this case, three quarters that remain in the dark. But as I said before, I stress the fact that energy access is a piece of the energy system puzzle, which means if you do not have a sustainable or bankable energy system at national level, you will never achieve uh, universal access or you'll achieve it, but then at what cost? And so that perspective led me to really appreciate numbers at hand, not just uh, just you know vision and, and, and hope. Numbers at hand, how interrelation is obvious. And I, I go back to that beautiful sunny afternoon in Italy with yourself and many other leaders in the space where we came up with the Utility 2.0 pilot. And we know the journey it's been. Like any new thing, it takes time. But now it is it is clear and apparent to us, and I, soon we hope to, to everybody, that the interaction between the off-grid systems and soon-to-be interconnected systems with the expansion of the utility is not only natural, but mutually beneficial. And so to close... It's been from the start. It was it was quite quite difficult to separate to create Chinese walls mentally between you know the national system and our micro, if you will, microcosms in villages. But soon, when you zoom out, you know it's all pretty similar. You have you have customers that are households. You have businesses. Then we, as Equatorial Power, deploy 
agro-processing hubs, and that's the equivalent of industrial clients for the national utility. And you quickly learn and see that balancing of system, interaction with different loads is fundamental to go beyond. And again, mini grids 1.0 were we're going to produce the amount of energy needed and sell it at a bankable rate, and that's it, right? Today, Minigrids 2.0 are saying, well, no, we want to interact with more parts, more facets of the village life, if you will, but also we want to be an actor in the national system, which is paradoxically is what's happening in the US and in Italy and Europe, because even the grid now is starting to detach. The, the fringe of grid is the space in the sector with the most exciting activity as far as I'm concerned. And and that's exactly where we're focusing with this pilot. Yeah, no, it's a great point. I mean, I'm based in California and uh, we now are building a lot of mini grids because we need the resilience of the system that uh, is going to withstand what is now a fire season out here. So so there's a lot of broad application for mini grids. Definitely uh, not just an idea, but a technology whose time is way past arrived. But I do want to talk a little bit about For people who are listening to this podcast and who are inspired by the idea of finding a way to work on an integrated approach and work with the utility, what does it take for a mini grid company to find a way forward with the utility? And and again, I think you're in this really unique position of, of both being somebody who's advocated for this, but also as a board member of UMMA. You had to, you know, be engaged in, you know, questioning, is this the right thing for the organization? So, you know, let's hear about that from both sides. Like put on your umeme hat (laughs) and tell me why you thought this integrated pilot was a good idea for the organization. And then put on your mini grid hat and, and talk about what it was like to find a way to actually do things together. What are some examples of the partnership? So please, over to you. Absolutely. So starting with the Umeme hat, I mean, we, as I said, the fortunate or unfortunate position is that business as usual is over. It's time to evolve or stop making profit and therefore eventually go out of business, which is unfortunate because it creates a little bit of strife. But on the other hand, it breeds innovation and it, it breeds courage as well. And that was the opportunity I had to really propose Weird and Wonderful. And I'm sure if we look back at some board minutes, I'd be embarrassed at the stuff I proposed. But not all of it was crazy. And and this was a piece that, as you know, I've always felt extremely strongly about, which involves accelerating access. Because the whole, like everything from the passion to the business models to the technology starts from saying, hey, people can have power tomorrow. There is no excuse to wait. Right. And that's because otherwise, if you zoom out and remove emotions, uh, you know, you could make a 50 year electrification plan that, that works very well. But that's not the case. So there was an opportunity historically in this case for the utility to really want to take this seriously because its life depended on it. Right. To zoom out, as you know, I, I talked to a number of African energy ministers and MDs of other utilities. And I can tell you over the last three years, the rhetoric has changed completely. What we are doing in Uganda today, my bet is that will be ripe for replicating in a number of other, not only African, but emerging market economies shortly. So to summarize, from Umeme's point of view, the historical situation is such that we need to think outside the box to meet certain targets, including access to energy, while remunerating the investment of our shareholders, the investors. So it was the right time to be brave and try something different. 
from the mini grid perspective, I mean, one of the biggest challenges when you speak to investors uh, to, as, as a difficult question to answer is, well, what happens if you know the, the government doesn't respect the national electrification plan? What happens if the grid reaches you and, and you're now subjected to a much lower tariff? And all these questions, I mean, we can come up with many good answers. The truth is, if the government decides to do something tomorrow and does it, well, we suffer. And so the best way to not only prevent this, but the best way to thrive in this world is to be able to interact with the utility. And the models, you know, there are a number of models that we're exploring with Umema today. I think that one or more of those will be applicable. And in the near future, it, you know, it's my hope and ambition that that will be the answer to investors, that not only are we not trying to avoid it, but we welcome interconnection. And and so from there, obviously, uh, it's as you know, it's been it's been a tough ride and we still have a long hill to climb. But but I'm very confident that we'll come up with the right solutions with the right data to back it to really make a step change in terms of access to energy in Africa. Yeah, well said. And one of the sort of memories that always comes back to me early days is, you know, that time at Bellagio when we had the good fortune with the support of the Rockefeller Foundation to bring people together to really jointly define what this concept of utilities 2.0 could be. It, it was sort of all generally accepted that the current approach to working with utilities for the decentralized sector hasn't gotten us the results we want. And so we needed to change an approach. But my question is, is in terms of, as you mentioned, replicating or, or doing this in other countries, what is it that utilities need to hear from mini grid companies? What will be the motivating factor to get them to see mini grids as a partner and not as a threat? Good question. You know, $100 billion question right there. So this is just my opinion, but I honestly think that if the positioning is not, hey, I want exclusivity forever for this area, but rather, hey, there are certain things that as a mini grid developer, we're naturally better at, which include spending time with rural customers, focusing on their demand growth profile, focusing on training local talent for O&M, that all translate into two things. On the one hand, cheaper O&M, and on the other hand, a quicker path towards energy demand growth. These two together, so when you interface that with what the utility is looking at, so change perspective, from the utility, you're given all this money from government to expand the grid, sometimes paid by the World Bank or others. It looks like a gift. In truth, it's a bit of a Trojan horse, in my opinion, because what it does is, politically, the utility cannot really change the tariff much, right? The regulators are in a very difficult spot. So you have, you're doubling or tripling your customers, where all your new customers are poor sometimes non-vending, you're extending the medium and low voltage lines by thousands of kilometers, but you don't have an increase in budget. So you cannot buy more pickup trucks. You cannot hire much more staff. And so right now, what seemed like a gift is a nightmare to operate. The increase in technical and commercial losses skyrocket. The system deterioration increases because you have less capex available to maintain the system. So you understand that it's a snowball effect. Now, if you know that, from the mini grid perspective, you could say, we have certain areas that we operate. Should you, if and when, if and when you arrive, we will be able to change the nature of our work and collaborate, maybe continue to operate those clients in a way that costs less and, and generate more. The utilities DNA is perfect for urban centers and industrial clients, less so for you know a, a more distributed operation of lower vending customers and i think it's in if imagine it as a as a venn diagram it's in that overlap 
that a, a happy marriage can be can be made. Again, my opinion will not work in every country, but but I think that's a good starting point for the conversation as opposed to this is my area, that's your area. That doesn't fly. Yeah, indeed. So just a few more questions for you before we wrap up. You mentioned earlier about the importance of integration and partnership. And I think finally, we're getting more and more attention around the focus of productive use and and really thinking about how do you create anchor loads that are meaningful for a mini grid. So talk a little bit about your personal experience around this topic. And you know, if you if you're drawing some conclusions already from the pilot in Uganda, it'd be great to hear about that too. But but what difference do you feel that it will make over time to the success of your mini grid company to have productive use and appliance financing partners along the way? Great question. I mean, I honestly I'm a huge believer in use. I mean, almost more than uh, the provision of electricity itself. I think it's useless to bring electricity without doing any ecosystem support. So, I mean, we pioneered, if you ask personal experience, I pioneered productive use and asset financing six years ago with my first mini grid in Uganda. So it's something that now is on everybody's tongue, wasn't the case back then. So I think that that is essential, but in itself insufficient for the bankability of a mini grid. So if I have to speak about, I, I will say two things. Appliance financing and, and productive use is fundamental for the ecosystem. When you're bringing power somewhere, whether it's extending the, the grid or whether you're a mini grid operator, you have a concession. You have a, a license that gives you a right over that area for, for a determined amount of time. The value you have is a function of how many customers you have and for how long. If in early days, you can take whatever it is that, that they, they pay you and, and multiply it because they're now sustainably growing their consumption and they're probably earning money from that, then your value skyrockets, right? So that is the underlying, if you will, formula that uh, speaks everybody's language because you are bringing development. Don't forget that these are poor customers. Bringing them power is, is a tremendous change in their lives. They're saving a lot of money from poor substitutes, but they're also making more money. However, one thing which is clear is that whether you extend the grid or build a mini grid, people can pay for power. They cannot always afford a fridge or a milling machine. And so you need somebody to bring that to them. Now, essentially, you're turning electricity from a, you know, a cost to, to a benefit, which is exactly what we're after. Now, we've learned the hard way as a mini-grid developer that it's very difficult to do that properly. Sure, could we do a few villages? Yes, we can. Could we do it organically in a scalable manner? I have my doubts. I have my doubts. I think that it requires uh, specific skills. As you know, I, I also co-founded Energrow, which does exactly that. And you spoke to Aaron, who's just amazing. And him and his team are specialized in this. He's building a, a dedicated team. So as a mini-grid developer, no matter how big you are, the question is, do you also want to be an asset financier or bank? If so, be my guest. If not, you will never be equipped as such a partner. And you will always have an issue working with the utility, which between you and I is the bulk of the business because the bulk of the new connections will still be linked to the utility. And so I think that both in terms of expertise as well as business bankability, a separated business makes perfect sense and a partnership with that business is essential. Now, last thing is I do think that it's insufficient in itself. And what I mean is if you're a mini grid developer and you want to build bankable mini grid assets, which is what we all want to do, you have to go, in my view, a, a step further. 
you have to realize that nobody in a village, very rarely will somebody in a village be able to be the counterparty to a $100,000 loan for an industrial ice machine or industrial mill, which might be needed in that village. And so I think there is a role for developers to leave the retail, if you will, and stick to what's the equivalent of industrial consumption on the national grid. So, which is why Equatorial Power builds agro-processing hubs, which are in, in the order of a couple hundred thousand dollars worth. So something which is bigger than what we could asset finance for the benefit of the community that we own and operate, but provides essential services as well as an essential anchor demand. And so I think it's a, it's a mixture of both. That said, you know, we're still, we're still fixing, we're still fixing the recipe. And, and uh, yeah, we're, this willingness from our side to share is because we also want to listen. We also want to learn. And unfortunately, we still don't have the, the magic recipe, but, but I think we're getting closer every year. That's great. And, you know, just finally, uh, you know, part of the goal of this pilot is to evaluate the ability not just to have faster connections, which I believe early results are, are already showing us that that's happening. I believe in less than a month, Equatorial Power connected 300 people in a village that hasn't ever had energy access before. But beyond that is also this holistic approach. And, you know, you've talked about it in a couple of different ways, but, you know, it's something what Power for All refers to as moving beyond access. So not stopping with just a connection, but making sure that people get the full benefit of that connection through some of the means that you've just described. But as everything continues to prove itself out over the course of the pilot over the next year, leading up to interconnection eventually, what do you personally think are the top one or two things that need to happen for replication and scale? Thank you, Christina. Tough question. In order to gather momentum, I will say two things. As you said, 300 connections established in our pilot project in under 30 days. The test village, where the utility extended the grid without further intervention, took over three years to achieve the same result. That is a striking difference. Therefore, value established. Secondly, we're already making important strides in terms of training local staff, both technical and, and customer care related, to show the utility that our operations costs and the demand growth, thanks to the partnership interventions with appliance financing, happen very quickly. We don't have to wait a year to see results. We will see results first month and then more in the second and more in the third. So this is important because that shows the utility where the delta of value is. Now, you need a couple of things to replicate this in scale. You need the utility to see that. And in Uganda, I can speak for Umeme in saying that that picture is clear. So I think it's possibility for scale up are real in Uganda. In other countries, I think it'll take the utility its own journey, some already, others less. And secondly, let's recall that this is a heavily regulated sector. So the regulator really needs to be able and willing to accompany this journey because otherwise you're fighting a battle that, that you can't win as a developer. You need the regulator and, and I commend the Ugandan Electricity Regulatory Authority in having foresight because it's only with the work of the regulator that you're able to do this anywhere beyond the pilot. So to summarize, I think that Uganda is ready. I think that very soon we'll be talking about scale up and I'm very positive about that. And I think there's a couple of other countries in East Africa, perhaps in West Africa too, that are ready to take this to the next level. Again, the caveat is that every, every country is different and every journey towards what uh, the system and the regulation looks like in the end are, are slightly different. But I think the time is now for us to really concert efforts and, and push this to, to the next level, Christina. Well, thank you so much, Ricardo. And uh, thank you all for listening. 
A reminder that you can find a wealth of sector news, analysis, and insight on our website, powerforall.org, as well as our platform for energy access knowledge, or PEAK. You can also sign up to receive our monthly newsletter. And finally, a reminder that Power for All is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We depend on the generosity of listeners like you. So to make a donation, please visit us at powerforall.org slash donate. And thank you until next time on the Power for All podcast.